Hello, one and all. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side, a podcast for the film stage. Here, we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today, I'm with, as always, podcast producer and dear friend, Connor O'Donnell. How are you, Connor? I'm up good there. Thank you, bro. <laughs> and I am, we are, we are today with uh, a guy we've been wanting to get on for a while, so we're excited to have him finally. We've been talking about, talking about Sly Stallone with him for the last couple of months. His name's Chad Harbald. He is a filmmaker, accomplished in many different films he's made over the years as a producer and a director and a writer. Long Nights and Short Mornings from a couple years ago he wrote and directed. I see. I recommend you all check it out, uh, a movie I like uh, a, a lot, a lot. And um, currently has two movies he produced in theaters as we speak, as we record. Depraved, directed by the great Larry Fessenden. And Villains, which is directed by Dan Burke and Robert Olson and stars Bill Skarsgård, Micah Monroe, Jeffrey Donovan, and Kira Sedgwick. Chad, what is up? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. So Sylvester Stallone. We're just going to jump right into it. <laughs> this guy. is a really weird guy. <laughs> such a weird we guy. learned from these movies. He, um, born in 1946. He's a Manhattan boy. Uh, He's 73 years young as we record. He has made a lot of movies. Um, I think, you know, the thing with Sly is you think, obviously, of Rocky first. And then I think second, you think of probably Rambo, right? And Rambo Last Blood is in theaters also as we record. Um, did okay in its opening weekend against Ad Astra and, um, uh, the, of course, Down Abbey, the behemoth, box office behemoth, <laughs> Down, Ab- Down Abbey. Um, but... Uh, I think, you know, the thing that I think about with Sly, and this kind of harks back to our Arnold Schwarzenegger B-side podcast, is I always think of him and Arnold kind of combined, right? Because they had this competition, which never really was a competition because Arnold was always won, you know, because Arnold made bigger movies basically his whole career and had higher grossing movies. And But I guess there was this idea of these two action, you know, icons competing to some to, in some regard. Um, and Sylvester Stallone has come out and basically said he hated Arnold Schwarzenegger back then, and they had a rivalry. And uh, you know, I, I even read something in kind of doing research for this. I was reminded uh, Sly blames doing "Stop or My Mom Will Shoot" on Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was told that Arnold Schwarzenegger was gunning for that role and took it to like spite him. <laughs> And then it turns out it was obviously this infamous, you know, movie that is remembered only, you know, in in a comical way, not for the right comical reasons. So I hope that I hope Arnold started that rumor. Well, that's <laughs> Sly kind totally of see yeah. Sly thing. kind of if you read the quote, Sly kind of implies that's what it like he did. You know, he did. And like, he fell for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, so. We usually talk about where we first encountered these actors and actresses, you know, when we talk about them. I I don't know. I feel like this one's kind of obvious. Is there anything, Chad or Connor, like for you? I mean, it had to be Rocky, right? Was there anything else that you saw him before Rocky or when you were growing up? 
I mean, Chad, you first. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely Rocky for me. And, you know, I'm sure like a lot of people watched all those movies when I was young and with my family. But the other distinct memory I have is, uh, speaking of Arnold, is uh, seeing Sly in the poster for Terminator 2 in The Last Action Hero. That was always an image that really stuck with me and probably like cemented the idea of their rivalry along with. Uh, I was unsurprisingly a frequent uh, Planet Hollywood uh, patron. Oh, okay. That's I love that. I love that. I, you know, I don't think I've ever I ever went to a Planet Hollywood. Really? They're, they're, oh, the dude. Food, it's awful. <laughs> they're they're terrible, yeah. and especially the one in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> you know, which has like probably a signed script of stop or my mom will shoot <laughs> or some other uh, unwanted are you, bullshit. Wait, Chad, are you from Columbus, Ohio? Yeah. Oh, dude. So, not to get overly personal on this podcast, but I am running the Columbus Children's Hospital Marathon on October twentieth. Oh, good for you, man. <laughs> and, That's exciting. Uh, so, if you were listening to this after October twentieth, hopefully, I survived it and I had an okay time. Yeah. Good luck. Thanks, man. Um, what about you, Connor? Other than Rocky, was there anything like Daylight or any of the weird '90s movies? I definitely Daylight. I remember seeing trailers for yeah. you know in front of other movies. I and I was going to say I don't even realistically I don't think the first Rocky was even. I feel like my first exposure to Rocky was probably Rocky Four that I remember. Like definitely yeah. one of the sequels. And outside of those, um, I remember uh, frequent, maybe not complete, but frequent you know casual viewings of Demolition Man. That right, was like Demolition another Man. one um, that I feel like was on heavy rotation for me. So yeah, I saw I saw Daylight in theaters. No, um, I love it. I remember with a big group and like my family and cousins and stuff like that. And there's, it's one of those mid nineties thrillers that does that fake out thing where the, you think the dog died and I was like 10 or whatever and had to like move seats to hide from everybody how much I was crying. (laughs) And then the, and then it turns out that the dog actually makes it. So I I was okay then. I love like the social calculus that had to go into that moment. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I didn't want my mean cousins making fun of me for being a wimp. I mean, naturally. So the, the five movies that we're going to focus on today and, you know, like we've kind of been doing, well, you know, he's made a lot of movies, so we'll, we'll kind of zip through the career a little bit, but the five main movies um, for your scoring books today are going to be Paradise Alley, 1978, Lock Up, 1989, Copland, nineteen ninety seven, Get Carter, the year two thousand, and finally Bullet to the Head, uh, in the year twenty thirteen. So, kind of the idea here, and partly Chad's idea when we were talking about it to cover, you know, decade decade by decade, you know, because this guy's been, you know, look, he's been a movie star. I mean, how long is this now? He's been a movie star literally for nearly fifty years. Is that possible? Yeah, it's literally. Almost 50 years he's been a movie star since Rocky. And, of course, Rocky, it made uh, a bunch of money. Uh, Philadelphia famous, right? The steps, the whole thing. It won Best best Picture picture over, like, legitimate masterpieces. Not that Rocky's not great in its own right, but, like, you know. It does kind of pale in comparison. Over, like, the four best movies to ever be nominated for Best (laughs) Picture. I mean, it's kind of – you every time – I actually look at what it be. It is that thing where you go, 
oh yeah, that's crazy. You know, like actually, right? It's like network. What is, it? is it? Is it network? Taxi driver. Taxi driver and Nashville or something like that. And yeah, I know was, Bound for Glory is the other one. And then, sure, and that that Rocky's better than Bound for for Glory, and I like Bound for Glory, but like I'll give it that one. But yeah, I think yeah, that's in terms of yeah accolades. I'm just looking it up as we talk about it. So, um. Uh yeah, I'll, I'll 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 grab it here. Yeah, here we go. I got it right here. So it be all the president's men, network, taxi driver, and bound for glory. Wow. In the nineteen seventy six Oscars. Yeah. Forty ninth Oscars. So yeah, I mean quite a quite an accomplishment. And obviously it was kind of lambasted for it and whatnot, and you know, probably unfairly to some degree. But look, I think it sets up this thing with Sly Stallone as a movie star that's interesting when you think about him, which is that He's this lovable loser, right? Like the thing with Sly when he becomes famous is he was in his 30s. He had been in movies before, movies like Lords of Flat, Flatbush, right? Um, Death Race 2000. Death Race 2000. He bit parts in movies like Bananas, right? Like he had been a working actor in New York and he had been writing and he'd been selling scripts here and there. And Paradise Alley, which he'll end up he'll end up directing, and it was our first movie in 1978 after the success of Rocky. He had was writing into a novel because nobody was buying his screenplays, right? So he was really like hustling. And so I think you know, and the famous thing with Rocky is that he could have sold the screenplay for a certain amount of money, but he he um, refused to let other people star in the movie. He insisted he stars Rocky, right? So people always take that right. as like, you know, oh, he bet on himself. And, you know, and look, he did. And, I mean, God knows. I mean, a million Rockies later, you know, two Creeds and six Rockies later, it's hard to hard to discount he, that. He's a kind of like, I mean, he's a working class movie star, you know? 100%. Like, he's a populist, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of cultivated that. And I do, but I do think it is genuine down to like, his looks and like the way he speaks and just like the stories he tells. No, I agree. And I think what you, what, what is a thing that when you look at his filmography and his stardom, what I think you see he struggles with as he becomes bigger is that lovable loser persona kind of slips away. And he basically has admitted as much in interviews. He's a pretty honest interview in kind of looking back at some of these interviews as I was kind of doing some research. There's a great Rolling Stone interview from 1982 that I'll put in the link uh, for this article, you know, uh, for the episode where he really talks about like getting too full of himself and like leaving his wife for, you know, this other woman and then begging his, you know, begging to come back to his wife and like all this stuff. And, you know, he, I think for any sort of, to your point, Chad, for any ego, he, there is this honesty that comes through in a lot of different kind of, I don't know, interviews and whatever throughout the years. And I think that always helps, but you know, and also the Rocky movies are kind of about this. I mean, like, isn't that, what you just described the plot of Rocky five. Well, basically. Dude, literally in this interview, funny you say that he literally says he only could figure out how to do Rocky three when he became too famous and full of shit. Cause that's what Rocky three is all about. Rocky three is like, he's got the robot. He's got too much money. He's soft. Like he doesn't know how to fight anymore. Then he gets the shit kicked out of him by Mr. T right? Mm-hmm. By Clubber Lang. Oh, no. Mr. T is in three. I don't remember who the villain is in five. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm talking about three. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so in, in, in that Rolling Stone interview, he talks about getting the inspiration for three from becoming like 
too egotistical and stuff, which I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, four is obviously the Russian uh, set uh, Cold War movie with Dolph Lundgren. And then, yeah, five is John Elveston comes back, which which right. Sly Stallone has said he regrets because I think they well, had yeah, a fall. Five out. is is five is bad, pretty bad. Yeah, five. Um, oh. Although, as uh, my, I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend Rob Malone, a fellow trivia player who loves Sly and uh, is jealous that I'm doing this. Um, but he has really good Sly opinions, um, and Rob maintains that Creed two is worse than. Rocky Five. I am not. I I might agree with. I do not like Creed Two. I have to admit here. I I, yeah. I caught as, it as finally. Rob said. Well, uh, Rocky. You know what Rocky Five isn't is boring. Yeah, Creed and... Two just doesn't have a <laughs> real focus or reason for being there. It's kind of yeah. a strange alchemy that movie. Especially, um, I feel like especially after Creed, because Creed feels like such a perfect version of what it is, you know, like yeah. that handed off reboot well, kind of thing. But Creed one is amazing yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I also really like Rocky Balboa. Um, yeah, so do I. Is so do I. a movie that sort of gets back to kind of the roots of the franchise. And, you know, he comes back to direct it again and it really kind of feels like a good ending to the series. And, and, you know, I'm sure at some point there'll be an oral history of Creed and I will bet you a thousand dollars that he was supposed to die at the end. And one of his stipulations of doing it was that he didn't. I know. I know. Um, and I'm sure that then, you know, now we have Creed two, a movie that doesn't really need to exist. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Now, now I guess let's just jump in to his, the, for our first movie, which is paradise alley, which is his first directed movie, his directorial debut. Um, so like we said, it's 78. It comes out only years after Rocky, right? So he's still riding Right, it's high. his blank check from Rocky, basically, right? It's, it's like, 100% it's, his blank yeah. check. We can't say that for sorry, us here. Sorry, <laughs> No, no. So, I mean, look, this is literally the same year he, come, he, he comes out with Fist, which is the Norman Jewison uh, Union movie in which... Which we tried to watch. We tried to watch. And we none of us could find it. Yeah, we had trouble no, finding it. And frankly, I couldn't even find it on like russian websites or uh, yeah. you know like i think I, we all canceled each other's library holds out and none <laughs> of us got it then um exactly yeah because exactly because we all asked for it because that was the only yeah. way to get it the one dvd copy in, like, yeah, the right one like that hasn't been asked for in 20 years it's like some librarian was like fist you guys remember fist they want that <laughs> um but so that's a norman jewison movie in which um uh sly stone plays a fictionalized version of Jimmy Hoffa. And it's basically like... Oh, really? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. If you go back and read the reviews, it wasn't reviewed kindly. Okay. It didn't perform overly well uh, following Rocky, but that was his kind of big next movie after Rocky. And then Paradise Alley was a big swing. I mean, it had its... It had people... People did praise it, but very few people at the time. Um, I think I want to say Andrew Saris was one of them with his auteur theory praise. Yeah, I mean, it's an auteur. Mo- I mean, yeah, I have to say I really liked Paradise Alley. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it as ins- well, to be honest. It's yeah. an insane movie. Uh, and it definitely feels like one of those like, you know, uh, you know, late 70s, uh, early 80s flops that like. You know, the, it's a period piece where they built the entire block on a set, you know, like it's like Streets of Fire, like uh, Heaven's Gate or something. And it's just like 
way overproduced and like made by like all these incredibly talented people like Laz I think like Laszlo Kovacs shot it and like Bill Conti did the score like it, it's just insane and it's it also I think is a really um kind of uh explainer of Sylvester Stallone as an auteur I feel like like it's just like so kind of embarrassingly earnest um but it's also kind of great you know it's like it has none of the grit of Rocky but all of the kind of optimism and sort of uh you know it's like a musical with no music in it yeah I totally almost exactly agree with everything you're saying like I, I, I was I was watching it and I was kind of like shocked that that was the movie because I had seen it I had seen it or I thought I had seen it many many years ago but I when re-watching it it was one of those things where I realized maybe I hadn't you know what I mean because it has this crazy opening where like he's racing along the rooftops with this like loser right and it, it's like comical in the way they shoot it and then the way it ends and then I think so so okay the premise of the movie is it's 30s you know depression era new york city and you have this trio of brothers um one big dope brother who's like you know he's a little slow but he's this big strong guy kind of like your lenny you know in uh of mice and men type of a of a character and then you have sly himself who plays cosmo who's like i guess he's meant to be like the comic relief goofball like He's like the idea man. He's the he's the brother that's always got the schemes. Yeah, and then and then you have Amar Armando Sante in his first movie role, who's like the too smart for his own good brother. Who the three of them, you know, they represent. You know, they're these Italian American brothers, and they're just trying to survive. They have no money. They live in this flat, and you know, there's cockroaches all over the place, and they're just trying to make ends meet, and um. You have Ann Archer is like kind of a call girl slash singer in, you know, one of these, um, you know, like secret underground, you know, cotton clubby, not cotton clubby, you know what I mean? Like those types of clubs um, in New York. And like you're saying, all the production design, like you're saying, Chad, the production design is unbelievable. You know, the lighting and the the, the framing is interesting. Um it never i guess the criticism at the time was essentially they get into wrestling and yeah. the big brother <laughs> becomes the patsy for the wrestling right and like he and um he's taught by this like big black wrestler who actually ends up being one of sly's prison mates in the movie Lock oh Up, yeah that is him which we'll yeah. talk about uh next but it's interesting because I I really feel like people thought he look he wrote it he directed it he produced it right he starred in it right so I think it was that thing of people thinking it was a blank check reacting to it like it was a blank check I it was it was famously kind of taken away from him in the edit he sly oh, really? e- even in this eighty two Rolling Stone interview admits like he hates the way it turned out so like he I don't know if he even likes it really um mm. but I think when you look at it now I mean you know which is like 40 years ago you know 40 years later there's so much honesty and passion in it you can tell how much you wanted to tell the story cuz look this was the I mean like I said before this was the screenplay he wrote before Rocky like this yeah, is what I he, didn't know that he wanted to make this before Rocky like he had this whole thing he sold it to some like 
producer who screwed him and he like lost the rights for a period of time and wrote Rocky almost as a as a almost an antidote to like getting bamboozled by some guy right so like mm. he has a whole history with this movie and then I think you know go I think it goes to Cannes or some festival like that and kind of gets lambasted and I think he just kind of feels like you know, nobody sees it. It makes $7 million, right? And so wow. he immediately well, makes Rocky What's funny to me about it is you know. like both of the, both the, I mean, the wrestling aspect of it almost feels like a tack on because he has to do it because he's the guy that did Rocky. But it's interesting to know that it was uh, there before Rocky. And then it also just, I don't know. It, it's one of those movies that really shows like what the job of a director is because I don't think there's anything, uh, more cheesy or more like kind of you know like ho-hum earnest uh in that movie than there is in rocky it's just like put in a different context in this movie like in a like in a different aesthetic context uh well yeah like, and even the rest it reminds me of like yeah. fucking one from the heart man like it's oh duh, such a yeah. crazy looking movie no, I totally agree. I mean, this is the period of time where you have the end of, you know, quote unquote, New Hollywood, right? That's beginning to end. And it feels like an end of New Hollywood movie. Like it, it should be on those. It does. Like yeah. in in that repertoire. No, I totally agree. I think it should be played with like stuff like One from the Heart, stuff like Heaven's Gate, obviously, stuff like even like Hammett. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, yeah. Because you just have this indulgence. And look, I mean, he has. There are quotes of him saying there's like an hour of this movie that got cut out, right? Like he was told oh, to make wow. it brief. So who knows what. And speak of the devil. Yeah. There, and there's a four hour cut out somewhere. Like it's just <laughs> like all these movies. I'm telling like... you, man. So, I mean, I think it was a bummer for him and kind of put him in his place. He immediately makes Rocky two after this, right? Which yeah, you know, exactly. Kind of the he retreats sequel. to safe territory. Yeah. You know, and then he, at this point, um, you know, this is pretty well documented. He, you know, he's philandering, he's doing a lot of drugs, He's the fame's hitting him hard. He makes Nighthawks in New York uh, City. That underperforms, though the movie itself is pretty good um, in 81. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, Nighthawks. If you get a chance, definitely go out and see that one. Um, I think it's him and Billy Can D. we Williams. talk about what his name is in that movie? I'm just looking at the IMDb. In for Nighthawks. It's na- his name is Deke De Silva. Yeah, baby. That sounds really cool. <laughs> and then he goes to Budapest and makes Victory, which is a John Huston soccer movie with him and Pele. He's the goalie. <laughs> I have I have seen it. I have seen this movie, and I will tell you that it's actually it's for a sports movie. It's pretty compelling. It's it's wor- is that one of the John Huston's where he doesn't remember making it. Like I mean, it's we're getting to that point. And, yeah, like, yeah, wasted we'll, at noon. We'll do a John Huston B side. Oh, we, we have to. Definitely going to talk about this movie. Yeah, yeah, we have to. I mean, John Huston doesn't remember making some masterpieces. Like, yeah, it's true. The Misfits is like one of his best movies, and he's like, yeah. I mean, uh, you tell me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably like. I, I feel like we did uh what was it we did on the bogey episode? Dan? Oh yeah, um, the uh, oh, beat, beat the devil, beat the devil, beat the devil. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, and that he just that like he, that's that's a movie where no one remembers yeah. making it. He's like, oh, well, we were also, in Italy. Out of, also, the misfits like uh, three quarters of the cast died like within the year after making it. No, it's crazy. We talk. I think we talked about that when we talked about beat the devil because Peter Lorre's in that and he's like in so much pain making it and so drugged up. Right. And then that mm. beat the devil is a similar version of that because 
It was yeah, late. I gotta see that movie. It was late in Bogart's life. It was late in Laurie's life. And it's just like these broken men going to Italy to like make a movie essentially independently for that right. time in the in the early fifties. Um John John Houston just caused a bunch of actors to die and just kept living. <laughs> he just never I mean, you know, had a be you know was responsible for one of our great actresses, so we have to thank him for that, Angelica. For sure, yeah. And uh, yeah, but it made movies all the way up until '87, where I love his last movie, is The Dead. Love yeah, it. I got to see The Dead. Uh, I'm I, I haven't seen that, and I've heard it's really interesting. Yeah, his '80s movies like Under the Volcano, Victory. You know that one's good. I really like Wise Blood a lot. Um, I have that not might be seen Wise Blood, but that one's yeah, really good. I have not seen. That's the one I haven't seen. Um, yeah, it's like Flannery O'Connor. Uh, yes, it's a it's a really really weird movie. Uh, that's very good. A rare Brad Dorif starring role. Brad Dorif, Ch- the original Chucky, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, right. Yeah, Houston is a super interesting director. Uh, his filmography is like one of a kind for sure. And so, yeah, I mean, just bringing it back to Sly. Um, so Nighthawks and Victory both underperform. And that's when he does this Rolling Stone interview that I keep referencing where he's kind of like, not unlike these like Travolta interviews that Travolta would do, like when all these different points in his career, which that was that was one thing I never thought about, actually. Stallone and Travolta, there's a similarity in their like, they became huge movie stars, then they like made some bad choices, and then they had you know a comeback, and then well, a and they also have staying alive in common, which exactly, I right haven't seen and really want to because it's like I I think that the fact that Sylvester Stallone wrote and directed the sequel to. Uh, Saturday Night Fever is one of the weirdest things well, about 80s Chad, Hollywood. Chad, and he's was super proud of it. Like, you know, like... I'll bet it's kind of good. I like, don't know. It's probably Frank good Stallone, like uh, fucking Paradise Alley is. Yeah, like his brother Frank Stallone did the music, right? It's this like... Right, and he's like not in it. Yeah, it's essentially... Maybe he has a cameo or something, but yeah. No, yeah, Sly... He's a, he's a man on the street, okay, according yeah, to yeah. Right, Sly's not really in it. And like, the, the literal... The movie is literally Tony Manero is successful and he's on this big Broadway show and that's what it's about. Right. I mean like it's this crazy. So it's about like the price of fame or like, you know, yeah, it's like another one of these movies, which I think is also great. Yeah. I mean, that's also, I feel like kind of a, not to segue, but like a sub genre of movie that also kind of always fascinates me. I feel like when people make those movies, it's like, yeah, what if like you actually like what, what happens after the movie? Right. Like, what, what's eight? Mi- what's nine mile? Like, right. What happens when he? <laughs> Dude, after I would he, love uh, get your record deal I, or whatever. Chad, I think you found your next movie. Yeah, buddy. maybe. Yeah, <laughs> that's the god Curtis Hansen. May he rest in peace, man. Yeah. Oh um, just qu- quickly with Curtis Hansen, I will just hard recommend for Bad Influence if anybody wants to see a great. Underrated. Oh, cool. No, I haven't seen that. Oh, uh, oh I love Chad, Curtis Hansen. Do yourself the favor. Crazy. Crazy. Did he do? Was that before uh, Hand That Rocks the Cradle? It was right after ninety two. Oh, it's, cool. It's, okay, I'll definitely check that yeah, out. He also wrote Rablo. Sam Fuller's last film, White Dog, which uh, is a great which movie. Is a masterpiece. Yeah, White Dog is a great movie. If you, if you, it's about a it's about a dog that's trained to be a racist. Um, and it's 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 a Sam Fuller movie. What it's, it's about is in the title. That's yeah. it. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Um. So yeah, I mean, look, Rocky. You know, so we're gonna get to we're gonna get to lockup, but we'll run through the '80s, which is kind of a crazy little fucking thing. It's like he goes Rocky three, which is a hit, um, and then and then that same year '82, 
is First Blood, wow. which is a modest hit and a and it and really a little movie. It's essentially an action drama. If you've ever the first Rambo, First Blood. It's it's crazy. Literally one person dies in that movie. Yeah, it's Brian. I think right, it's, which I think is it's Brian Den or is it no, it's not even Brian Dennehy. No, think. it's a guy that like falls out of a helicopter. Yeah, yeah or something. exactly. It's like one you're right, it's one death. And it's this pretty nuanced take only seven years after we were officially out of Vietnam, right? 82. And it's this guy who's essentially in the American Northeast or Northwest, rather, sorry. He's back from the war and he just gets basically profiled and bullied by these shitty local cops. And it causes this whole panic because he's been trained to kill. And it's this beautiful, like kind of interesting commentary that then becomes this totally different thing even by the second movie the, the second movie is one of the most insane like uh just over the top absurd action things that ever you know what i mean like it's hot shots it by is, the second yeah. one you know you didn't 100%. even need to make a parody of it like and this is i mean and this is where you get into and and you know by his own admission once again this is where you're getting into sly kind of goes a little nuts right so he basically has this kind of re-ups his success in 82 with Rocky 3 and First Blood. He directs Staying Alive, which even though it's lambasted by the critics, performs admirably well, makes $65 million domestic. And then he basically makes Rhinestone with Dolly right, Parton which is a on, joke, a, on right? a dare. Yeah. Basically on a dare. Basically like how famous am yeah. I? Let me fucking make this movie Rhinestone. And then and then he's in Rambo. sequel world, right? Like it's right. Just... And then it's Rambo two, and then it's it's Rocky four. That's both crazy monsters. that they're in the same year. And then Cobra, which is a modest hit, kind of underperformed. Cobra literally is him saying no to, and we talked about this already. Him saying no to Beverly Hills Cop, taking the script, rewriting it, and then making it as Cobra in 85 and 86 i i saw i also saw cobra when i was a kid which i should not have because that movie is actually pretty disturbing and really violent and uh uh but i have a lot of memories from that i think it i remember thinking i would if you you know gun to my head i would tell you cobra is a good movie but i'm not super sure uh, <laughs> it's one of it's an 80s movie you know it's, i it's, think it's that was beloved. on the poster yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> also uh directed by uh george cosmatos the uh father of father the director of mandy yeah father and we Rapanos. should say i did want to mention because i saw it recently but like uh for first blood i mean dude ted kochev has like the weirdest fucking career ever like have you seen Wake and Fright, his uh, Australian movie? I have not, but I've, I've immediately It's so it, yeah. great. It's incredibly disturbing. Uh, there's a real, uh, there's a, a real uh, uh, kangaroo hunt in it where these guys like shotgun a bunch of kangaroos to death and it's real. Um, Jesus. It's super disturbing. But then he also made like Weekend at Bernie's. Like, a- anyway. <laughs> no, I mean, look, we, we've talked about this on this podcast before. I admire the directors. Like, it's always my line with William Wyler, right? Where, like, yeah. Wyler was one of these guys who made a million masterpieces but isn't regarded at the same level as your, you know, maybe your John Houston's or your John Ford's because his work was not quite as definable in an auteur in an auteur way. Same thing with Michael. Right. Cortese, it's just like, right? excuse me for being a good director, 
Uh, like Curtis yeah. Hansen. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, and also I think with Weiler, the uh, the Caillou de Cinema dudes did him dirty. Like he was like totally. I think he was one of their examples of uh, you know Howard Hawks is good, William Weiler's bad, which is bullshit. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Now let me just say with Cobra, it has one of the best taglines ever. Yes, it does. Crime is the disease. Meet the cure. Yeah. Amazing tagline. You um, didn't even have so to yeah. make the movie after that tagline. Yeah, exactly. You could have just so, made the poster with the tagline, convinced people that the movie existed, yeah. and years from now, like years from then, people would be like, oh yeah, Cobra was great. And but no now, one's ever seen it. Now, um, 87 brings us over the top, which is, you know, could have as well been a B-side as any of these. We sort of um, chose not to because it's sort of famously insane. Yeah, and yeah my, my I, what I had said in our thread was that I just, it, it, it seemed boring to me to do like the kind of how to be, how did this get made version of this, which is like over the top, rhinestone, like stop or my mom will shoot or whatever. It's like, I wanted to watch like interesting movies, even if they were bad. No, and I think that was a smart which, way to do it. Because over the top, I've to, seen yes, literally. which brings us to <laughs> 1989's Lockup. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, um, it just which I had never know. seen before. But you know who had seen this movie? A Mr. Frank Darabont. Oh well, dude. <laughs> like, yes, this you, dude. The Shawshank Redemption yeah. is a complete ripoff yeah. of this mo- of this shitty movie, dude. It's, I, he, was, he was like, "What if one, better?" My <laughs> yeah. my one note, or I think maybe in my letterbox, I put Sly must have been so pissed when Shawshank came out after making yeah. Lock Up. I mean, this movie is truly insane, though. No, like, yeah, this movie is not good for sure, but it's just again, kind of talking about like. How, like, I mean, it's an obvious thing, I guess, but just how much a director matters. Like, like Shawshank is, you know, has as cartoony of a villain as Donald Sutherland. Like, the, you know what I mean? Like, uh, what's his name? The warden in Shawshank is as evil as this guy. Oh, yeah, um, but he's Bob, not, like, uh, bathed in Bob red Gun- light Gun- with a literal mustache that he twirls, you know? Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, that was, I didn't take too many notes on this movie. Um, but the one note that I did take was that like Donald Sutherland is a mustache. Yes. Like in this movie, like it's like insane. Like also it's kind of a bummer cause John Flynn directed this movie. Who's pretty good. Who's like another one of those guys, like kind of a Curtis Hansen guy who did, uh, uh, rolling thunder and the outfit. Um, not really a dude that's remembered well, but like was a solid, like, you know, was a solid guy. This is a weird this is a weird time for John Flint. He makes a movie right around this time called Next of Kin, which would be a would, would be a Patrick Swayze B side, which is like oh, similar that, okay. similar to Lockup, where it's like there are mo- well, this is what I'd say about Lockup, right? There are moments in this movie that are very compelling. I think like I agree. You know, I think you can see Flynn's ability as a filmmaker here and there, but I think you maybe you run into the Sylvester Stallone movie star problem, which is like Sly shouldn't have been playing this role. Like it, this is not yeah. Yeah. this is not the role for him to play. I don't feel like you, you know. So basically, just the quick premise of this movie is he's a convict, and at the movie opens, he's on a furlough and he's with his girlfriend, soon to be wife. He goes back to the prison. It's like a a low key prison compared to other prisons, right? It's like, he's got a few weeks left on his, like, I think it's a few months left on his sentence at the beginning of the movie. Then all of a sudden he's transferred out of nowhere to this maximum security prison 
for no discernible reason. And then you find out once he's in this like hellhole prison that the warden who's Donald Sutherland in full, like playing it to 11 Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Um, playing to the rafters. Donald Sutherland is playing it like Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> well said. And basically, um, you know, this, this dude, this warden, um, this warden essentially it has it out for Sly Stallone because Stallone escaped from his old prison and the warden was embarrassed, right? And so he's out for... Uh... Yeah, but, like, you find that out. The way this movie, uh, the way this movie, like, dispenses information is so weird. I didn't even know he was in prison for, like, yeah, 10 minutes. like, he's... Right, it, right. It, it opens with him, you know, at... Uh, you know, a maintenance garage, and you're like, oh, okay, he's a mechanic. And then he, like, goes to prison, and you're like, oh, maybe he's Visiting a guard? Right, right he has then, some weird job. And or then like, you're like, yeah. okay, no, I guess he was on a furlough, but, you know, he's not really that dangerous as a cri- of a criminal. And then he, you know, wakes up in, like, uh, a prison worse than the one in, like, Brawl and Cellbox 99, and... <laughs> he's in, like, he's in, like, the face-off prison. Yeah, he's, he's in, like, in the face-off prison, yeah. right. And then, like, we find out that he's, like, this, this like, famous escape artist. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. it's really weird how this movie doles out its, like, character details. I, the, I can see, as, as the movie unfolded, at least for that first, like, 10 to 15 minutes, I can see that it probably worked better on paper than it does in the movie in terms of, like, I'm going to introduce you to a character that you think is one thing, and then I'm going to kind of quickly bait and switch you and reveal to you that this dude's in prison. Like, that's that's not an uninteresting way to introduce a character. It's just I feel like when you see it laid out on screen over the course of, like, 10 or 15 minutes – it's so disorienting. There's also this great quote from Stallone. I mean, like, it's on the it's on the Wikipedia, but like, I mean, come on, guys. It's like he says, not a film that was produced and performed with enough maturity to really make a significant impact on the audience or my career. And that's the truth. I mean, it's that and feels, you know what's so crazy? What is that? That's so it feels honest and accurate. So, I know. Right, and it's so freaking yeah. true what does he mean it wasn't performed with enough maturity i mean that's saying about himself i guess but like i, I think in short he means like it wasn't the shawshank redemption like, right no like one gave not, enough of a shit yeah yeah like, um let me quickly exactly let me quickly correct myself john irvin who's another one of the directors he directed next of kin and and john flynn directed out for justice which was one of the early uh, Steven Seagal movies, which if you have not seen, is equally insane. Oh, that's uh, this movie lockup that we're talking about. So, oh god, okay. a Steven Seagal episode, Connor, would be a whole thing. By the way, that's I mean that would be one of those ones where we'd have to. It's like we'd cover we'd cover the good movies because those are the those are the in between ones. Yeah, for are real. there? Yeah, are there only like? I think we would just talk about executive decision probably. <laughs> I think that he's, would be and he's, it. Or, yeah, he's only in it for the first under siege 20 one is good, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, as the with lockup, as the movie goes on, I mean, you're introduced to all the characters you think you would be introduced to. Um, you're introduced to a character. I even hate saying his name. You're introduced to a character named Chink, um, played by Sonny Landham, who you'd you'd recognize him. From Predator and Forty Eight Hours, um, he's he popped up in other things that kind of floated, and the Warriors, other things that kind of floated around the same time. Um, 
And just, I, I, I think to your point, Chad, like characters that pop up that are like comically evil, even for prison standards yeah you know what I mean? that you're just like whoa like and that dude the 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 villain Tom sizemore's in this movie yeah and he's like most sizemore he's very sizemore in this he's uh the size he most? also will we also have to well he'll also come back around because yep. he in in uh in get carter uh he's both in and not in it he's like size um, less in that one yeah yes and then yeah the the evil prisoner that he kind of has a rivalry with who looks like Stacy Keach, which is a weird thing because I didn't think anybody looks like Stacy <laughs> Keach, but this guy does. It's like uh, Powers Booth crossed with Stacy yeah, Keach indeed. a little bit. Yeah. You know, and then it becomes like a, a prison break movie or whatever. And like, uh, uh, you know, it has its moments. But I mean, the real the real crazy thing with Shawshank is that character. His name's Billy in Shawshank, but like the the prisoner that the warden kills to like yeah. get a rise out of our hero. Like that plot, that character plays out almost exactly the same. Yeah, in both movies. Yeah, they call him first base in lockup, and um... and they have they have like a whole moment where he reveals to Sly that he can't drive, and Sly like teaches him how to drive. And it's, I, I will say this, this movie's not good, but that's like one of those things that I think it's the, like, that's a moment where if you're sly, I get it. Like, I get that. It's like, oh, I get to do this scene where I like roll around this car for this dude who can't drive and do a nice thing for him. And he just gets to play this like earnestly good natured character that like basically doesn't exist in real life. Well, look, it's certainly when you look, when you look at his career, right, when you look at where this movie comes in, this does feel like for Sylvester Stallone, the adult movie right after Rambo three over the top Cobra Rocky four Rambo two rhinestone. This does feel like Sly being like, let me make something serious. Let me kind of stretch my, you know, stretch my uh, chops a little bit. And it just, there's not enough there. You know what I mean? I feel like he's just not on the same page with everyone else who's making yeah. the movie. I, I think I just I think that his idea of serious is not what other people's is. Well, and look, that's and we'll, yeah, when, that might actually like, be true. Like that's that's why Paradise Alley is so interesting because it's like that is Sylvester Stallone's idea of an epic, like yeah. an auteur epic art film. Hundred percent, and that's fascinating well i think it's partially because uh like you said before i think it's because there's this there is sort of this goofball earnestness to him just generally right that i think that's what skews that perception um and i think as we kind of, i mean is there anything else we want to say about well lockup? no i mean the ending's insane the, the climax the ending the is insane. yeah the ending is actually the craziest thing i think i've ever seen put what to happens solo. at the end i mean i know they, they like he, this, oh yeah oh yeah it's like the most <laughs> pat like everything is okay even well, though it so, couldn't possibly no. be and what because what leads up to it is he basically gets donald sutherland in this electric chair that's teed up early in the movie yes. as like an antique that that Donald Sutherland very acutely says has been refurbished to working order. So uh-huh. you're like, oh, I wonder if yeah. that's going to come right. back, uh-huh. right? And he and Stallone basically gets him in the chair in order to have him confess and takes his belt and wraps it around 
the like last lever he needs to pull to basically pull the switch. Well, so that if he, so if like the guards shoot him, he'll fall he, and the lever fry, will swing. and he'll fry. Yeah, and he'll fry Sutherland, and um, and basically all the guards come in and he sort of ekes a confession out of him and whatever, and then Which he reveals would not that, hold up in court. No, 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 no that's the thing. <laughs> none of it would. Like he already like the thing is because he he basically attempts to escape. Fails. I love Chad. I love Chad uh, myth busting lockup. <laughs> Look, uh, guys, my dad's a lawyer. Chad okay? Harbold, attorney at law. This is is your dad be, actually a lawyer? Yes, you saying? this okay. would be inadmissible. All right, preposterous. Um, I love the idea of you as a kid, like copping up to something, and your dad just goes inadmissible. Like he just he just like lawyers you as a child. Yeah, he did a little bit sometimes. Um, no, but. Basically, you know, leading up to this electric chair moment, he's tried to escape. He has failed. Uh, spoiler alert. Sizemore betrays him and then kind of doubles back on it by saving his life by killing basically maybe the most sadistic prison guard that's ever been in a movie ever. Yes. Like worse than Clancy Brown, right? Yes. Uh, by far. Like Clancy Brown looks like just a good natured guy who works at a prison compared to this dude. But anyway, um, Sizemore kills him. And there's just a lot of like carnage that happens that leads up to this. So to your point, Chad, there is no way Stallone's not at least going to be in prison for another like five years. Like, yeah, there's no yeah. way. Yeah. Except they just let him go. Yeah. Yeah. He and, and, like the next day. Like, you have John Amos, right. Playing the Meisner. Who's like the warden's, like right hand man who like throughout he's the like movie, if Clancy he's probably Brown the best nice. it's probably the best performance of the movie because it's the only one where it's like he's a hard nosed dude at the beginning who realizes yeah, what's going changes, on yeah. and actually has a character change and it feels legitimate. Unfortunately that legitimacy is undermined by like the most ridiculous you know ending like we talked about. But I did love John Amos in the movie, I will say. But um it's sure. I it's mean, so ridiculous. that dude's never bad. Yeah, he's never yeah, exactly, but I mean, look. So I think it's a good segue to th to think about lockup though, because if this is Sly trying to go serious, all you know, eight years later, he tries it again, and it I think works a lot better, right? And in between, he kind of continues to go nuts, right? Tango and Cash, which is kind of another beloved '80s movie. I like it a lot. Um, that one's pretty good, though. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm sure people know but you know directed by the co-writer of andre rublev and uh he also made uh runaway train which is another really good 80s movie yeah no he's a uh he's a great director or under underrated director um rocky five we talked about kind of a miss oscar uh which is the john landis movie i have heard is underrated i need to rewatch it he's the it's like he's the mobster managing it's a comedy. He's like, it's like a slapsticky comedy. I've kind of always meant to rewatch that. 91, it comes out. Stopper, My Mom Was Shoot, 92. We talked about uh, infamous movie. Cliffhanger is another big hit of his. 80, uh, it, it makes 84 million, directed by Rennie Harlan. Kind of a ridiculous movie. I'm not actually a huge fan of that movie, but people do love it. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I think they're remaking that. I think they're they? trying to, yeah. Um, Demolition Man yeah. is a modest success. Him and Wesley Snipes, pretty good movie, interesting movie. Uh, 93 is a good year for him. And then 94 is The Specialist with um, Sharon Stone and James Woods, a truly horrible movie, which I don't recommend anybody ever watching ever. Uh, it does okay, but it's a really kind of despicable, uh, I don't know. 
a pretty terrible movie. Um, Judge Dredd comes out, kind of gets taken away from everybody. Danny Cannon starts to direct it, and then he gets, I think, gets fired on set or re re-edited in post. It's kind of a mess, mm. but he. Yeah, I saw that when I was a kid. I, I don't really have much memory of it. I mean, it's very kind of cartoony, right? It yeah, I remember. Is. He takes off the helmet. Armand Asante, funny enough, speaking of Paradise Alley, is the bad guy in that pops movie. Pops back yeah. up, yeah. Which is funny. He would be a good uh, almost a movie star. Oh, my God. He would uh, be a great one, yeah. <laughs> the Mambo Kings? Come on. Um, we'll, we'll bring you back for that one. Well, I, I have barely seen any of his movies. <laughs> I don't know. I think most people have barely seen any of his movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, He's not a movie that's, star. That's <laughs> um, and then Assassins, which is written by the Wachowskis. Um, is pretty bad. Pretty bad I, even movie. when I saw that when I was a kid, I thought it was kind of bad. Yeah, that's which another is sort of, of a bummer mess. given the people involved. Yeah. yeah. Richard Donner directs it. Yeah. Donner directed. Yeah, but like, I mean, Donner's only good like half the time. Donner's another one. He's like a high profile version of one of those directors. Like, he'll give you a 16 blocks and a lethal weapon and a, you know, like a super, like Superman. He'll give you those. Wait, is 16 blocks good? I like, I like 16 blocks a lot. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. I, I kind of like it too. Nice. All right. Yeah, it's a cool movie. Um, And then, well, it features, not to get into 16 blocks, but it fe- features a, a rare, committed, full, great Bruce Willis performance, like, which is yeah. wow. kind of nice. Um, And then cool. Daylight, we talked about briefly. And then we get to, Probably the best movie we're going to talk about today, right? James Mangold's uh, uh, second film, Copland, in 1997, which, by Sly's own admission, when he hosted SNL around that time, that was him trying to go serious. He gained weight for the role. Um, He's, you know, essentially starring in an indie darlings follow-up picture that's also starring Robert De Niro, Freaking Mar- uh, Harvey Keitel, freaking Ray Liotta, not too long after Goodfellas, right? Uh, Robert Patrick, um, Peter Berg, Peter Berg, Michael Rappaport. When Michael Rappaport was still like the kid in Zebrahead, you know, like he was still kind of coming up hot. Like a lot of, a lot of yeah, people. He was, it was, yeah, he was like big in the nineties. Yeah. So this movie, I, I'll tell you this straight up. Rewatching it, I, I love this movie. This is one of those. Yeah. This is one of those movies where I. You know, I've seen it a few times, and every time I see it, I like it a little bit more. Um, it's got the great scene in the middle where De Niro screams at um, at Sly Stallone, "You blew it!" Right, which is that yeah, great yep. moment. Um, and essentially, the premise of this movie, just to kind of uh, you know put a bow on it, is um, this young cop, Michael Rappaport, who they call I think they call him Wonder Boy, Super, Super Boy. Boy. Sorry, not Wonder Boy, Super yep. Boy. He gets into an incident on the bridge going back into Jersey where he thinks these two young black men driving a car have a gun pointed at him, but it's actually just a like a car tool, you know, like a, a jack car jack or something like that. And in his panic, and he's drunk as well, he fires at the car and hits the car, crashes the car, and kills the two men in the car. Robert Patrick and Harvey Keitel come in as other NYPD officers and plant a weapon to save Superboy in the midst of everything. Um, There's chaos at the scene because one of the EMTs essentially sees Robert Patrick plant the weapon. And then 
Harvey Gaitel watches Superboy Michael Rappaport jump off the bridge to his presumed death, right? So this all happens and it's very like um it's a lot, right? And that's the essentially the opening of the movie. Then you're you essentially go to this place called Copland, which is across the river in Jersey, in this little town um in which all of it's Gar- Garrison, right? Yeah, Garrison, New it's Jersey. A, it's a fictional town called Garrison because there's a real Garrison, New York, but there's not a Garrison, New Jersey. Um, mm. But anyway, it's called Garrison in the movie, and they call it Copland because all of the cops, right, which is like Ray Liotta, Robert Patrick, Harvey Keitel, all these people, they live there and they like live essentially in this tax haven, and no one can tell them what to do, and they run this bar, and there's a local hero who's become the de facto police chief of this cop town called uh, Garrison, and that is Sylvester Sloan. And he's just got two deputies, young, amazing Janine Groffalo and young Noah Emmerich, and they literally just, like, get cats out of trees, right? Like, they don't do much. Um, Sylvester Sloan's character, he's lost hearing one of his ears because he rescued a young woman when he was a young man, uh, who whose car went into the river? Uh, he rescued her. You come to find out, she is the now um, wife of Peter Berg, who's another one of these cops who lives in this town, who's this terrible guy and abusive. And Sly still has feelings for her, right? So it's all these things. It's this huge kind of setup. And then, of course, Superboy. You find out pretty early on. This isn't really a big spoiler. You find this out pretty early on in the movie is alive they faked his death to try to basically save him and cover up for his huge mistake um early on sly sloan essentially sees him in the back of a car and knows that he's alive robert de niro meanwhile is with internal affairs and is trying to pull the plug on this whole corrupt illegal group of cops who live in this part in new jersey and are run by Harvey Keitel. And there's an amazing scene at the beginning of this movie where De Niro and Keitel face off for like three minutes at a bodega, like outside of Garrison. And it's just so awesome because it's like the two Scorsese leading men facing off, which I just love, you know, like in this little like mid nineties cop drama. It's like, I just love that moment so much. There are a couple things in this, you know, especially when you take them into the context of, of some of these actors, like, you know, roles and say Goodfellas or other Scorsese movies. There are a couple things in this that I really, really love about this movie. Like I think Ray Liotta is really great because he's kind of dialed back a little bit. Like he's, he's still manic in the Ray way Liotta, that you see him yeah. in Goodfellas. Ray Liotta is but great he, in this movie. It's, it's a really wonderful performance. And I think what's awesome about the way this movie works is that everybody, you know, even if they're kind of, sort of seemingly playing in their lane like De Niro you know it doesn't seem to be flexing too much but he's doing fine same thing with uh, same thing with Keitel um, I think that's I'm glad that that's the case because I feel like it's what allows Stallone to really shine in this movie oh my god um, yeah this I mean he he's so he's what he's like truly wonderful and it's not even like when I was re-watching it um, I was thinking to myself that like it's not even that he's good by Stallone standards, right? It's like, he's just, it's like a really great performance. And, um, and he does that really, like you said earlier, he kind of leans on that lovable loser thing, um, a lot, but it, it really works well here. And I really think there's this, you're introduced to this character who feels like he's punching up the whole time so that when he finally kind of gets there, uh, you know, 
in in the latter half of the movie and starts to get with the program um in terms of like figuring these guys out you it's wonderful because it's not like he's been stupid the whole time or anything no. it's just that they've underestimated him right well, and he, and and he's underestimating himself right and that's the whole yeah. point of this movie and look i mean <clears throat> mangold mangold's whole thing early on was stuff like this right if you watch his first movie heavy it's essentially a warm up for what becomes Copland. Like he's operating in the same mechanisms, right? This idea of like small town emotions, repression, right? Like kind of going through your life, kind of living with your regrets and dealing with them in your own way. Like that's what heavy's about, right? That if you haven't seen that movie, do yourself the favor and check it out. It's a great kind of Sundancey movie from the mid nineties that, you know, made Mangold's career. And right after that, he makes Copland, which is I really like, like I'm saying an expansion in a kind of Shakespearean way on the themes he kind of touches on in his first movie. Um, features a great performance from Pruitt, Taylor, Vince and heavy, but yeah, like Sly in this movie is so locked in. Right. And it's one of those things where, we talk about him as a movie star, and like we said before in his interviews, he basically kind of freely admits from 85 to 95, he let himself go, and he wasn't writing enough, and he wasn't directing enough, and he made a lot of shitty movies, like your lockups and your over-the-tops and your stopper my mom will shoot. And I think Copland is an example, and really the best example, of him really being like, let me, let me get, let myself get directed by this young, hungry director – with this amazing cast. Well, there is, I mean, there's one better example of that, and that's Creed, I think, too. Oh, true. Where he, that's great. He, he that's does great. that Not again. Creed 2. Right, <laughs> indeed. Creed, Creed 1. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I also I think part of the reason he's so good in this movie is that, you know, it is that kind of, like, working class lady man thing where he actually, like, lets himself lean into that and lets himself not look so pretty and, like, the gaining not, weight is kind of crucial. Yeah, actually. and not and yeah. not be so not have swagger, not have ego, and also like kind of be allow himself to like you know be quote unquote like out acted by like a couple of like the best actors alive, and you know at least like to that they get to be bigger than him and get their so called you know kind of like Oscar moments uh, totally. in uh, in front of him. I have to say I'm not as high on this movie as you guys are. Uh, get out. Uh, <laughs> you can leave. Uh, which is surprising because it's very much up, up my alley. It, I keep trying to like James Mangold, but he like keeps making James Mangold movies. <laughs> and it's like he. That's surprising to me, given what we were just talking about with like William Wyler and stuff like James Mangold to me feels like one of those dudes. I know, but it's like it's. He, is there one that you he's like? Just is there not, one that he's like a bad. He's just bad James Gray, dude. Like it's like <laughs> if if Clint Eastwood or James Gray made this movie, it'd be 10 times better. Uh, That's an interesting I, I don't know. I think James Mangold thinks of himself as an auteur too much, uh, uh, as as opposed to somebody like William Wyler. Um, I don't know. I don't. I didn't get to rewatch this movie, uh, so I can't be too more specific. I just think it's a it's a little bit become like as a classic like underrated movie that was like not appreciated in its time. Although it did make sixty three million dollars. Well. Uh, but it's kind of become overrated, I think. That's a, a no, bit. and I, I think, I think, I think that is a good point. I think, you, I lo- though I love this movie, I hear what you're saying because I do think we run into this with movies where you go. I mean, look, here's the truth, right? There actually aren't that many really good Sylvester Stallone movies, right? I mean, like if we're right. being honest, right? 
you have a couple of the Rockies on their that, own merits. Yeah, you know, like right, d- depending sure. on your mileage with the Rocky movies, you can pick a few of those, right? You have, you know, if you like your Tango and Cash, and you want to, you know, there's, First Blood, the first right, one, First yeah. Blood, but truly. There really isn't much, right? Demolition Man has moments, right? Okay. But, like, he's one of those movie stars where it is true. It is actually Slim Pickens when you get into that adult fare. So, to your point, Copland, I think, has weirdly gone from underrated to overrated. What's funny to me is it's kind of a Wonder Boy situation when when, when you talk about Michael Douglas, which is to say this. When Copland came out, it was deemed as a disappointment right even though it made its budget back and probably made people some money right and sly falls back into his old ways not unlike mm-hmm. michael douglas who both of them basically admitted this like wonder boys is one of my all-time favorite movies ever truly like top five i love it i've seen it a million times it's a curtis hansen movie and it's it, the Michael Douglas and Robert Downey Jr. performances in that movie are like, in my opinion, all timers, right? That movie, yeah. that movie bombed so hard that Michael Douglas never made another movie like that ever again. Like the closest he would come is Solitary Man, like ten years later, which is an interesting performance, right? That movie. Uh, but he got so scared by the box office receipts, he immediately went back and made the in-laws remake, Don't Say a Word, right? Wow. Like he he just got scared. And this is what happens to Sly. He gets scared. Right. And so then he goes back to and does detox and get Carter and Driven yeah. and avenging Angelo like four dog shit in a row. Yeah. And I think when yeah. he and detox is I I see you, right? They got like retitled. Yes. Right. I, I, I remember <clears throat> when I was a kid too, like noticing detox because i feel like that was the first one that he ever made that went straight to dvd yeah barely I just came remember out, yeah. thinking that was a really big deal i think i only remember seeing it pop up yeah on like pay-per-view or something i mean maybe like it was released in theaters but it must have been like limited no yeah if you're um, looking at box office mojo it made like eighty thousand. you know so not really it didn't really right. come out you know he reteams with yeah he reteams with I-, I was a very cool 13 year old that like noticed me too <laughs> that, like... you're, you're you're in you're in good company in terms of yeah. really cool nerdy 13 year olds <laughs> Who walked around Blockbuster being like, oh, man, Sly really fell off. Like, huh, I didn't remember when that was in theaters. Why is that in Blockbuster already? Um, So really quickly, so our next movie is Get Carter, but I just want to bring this up. Driven comes out in 2001, a movie I have seen, directed by Rennie Harlan, uh, who obviously directed Cliffhanger, so it's a re-team in that way. Mm. Guess what the budget of Driven was in 2001? (laughs) The... Indie race car Sylvester Stallone movie, which he also wrote. Oh, Just what do you think the budget was? <laughs> without without looking at it, I'm gonna say one hundred twenty five. Oh, see, dollars. okay, you guessed high. It cost ninety four million dollars. It made f- still too much. In two thousand one, <laughs> it made f- it made so probably one hundred twenty five. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Equivalent. Yeah, it made fifty four million dollars, like worldwide. So a huge flop. Um, I will also say he does kind of nice voice work in that movie Ants, actually, Sylvester Stallone. I will say that. Um, yeah, I have a feeling Ants doesn't hold up. Yeah, too the well animation anymore. I think is a little boxy. I definitely saw that in theaters too. Is there like a 
the, the, maybe the person who starred in it? Is that yeah. the thing? That, no, what I, I what don't could think it possibly so. be? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. I, I don't think that he did anything. Uh, we, I don't know. Anything, I don't know who's the star of it. Is. Anything problematic? <laughs> um, so get Carter, two thousand. It's Kevin Spacey, right? right. No, yes. Kevin Spacey yes. does the voice. No, that's the other Ant. It's movie, funny, yeah, because I was gonna right. say Kevin Spacey oh. is in uh, Bugs Life. Wow, yeah, man, it's the, the Ants movie. So just something don't else. watch either of the movies about ants. Yeah, just they don't were watch something. Um, <laughs> Connor, I'm gonna let you. Why don't you set up Get Carter for us? I, okay, I love that you're doing this because I, in the thread, was even like mildly complimentary to it. No, yeah, that's I, just I am exactly. too kind of. So, it's really I, almost a good movie. No, I, I'm I let that you is two kids almost is the almost is the key. Almost is the key because I do think. All right, so Get Carter, it is a remake of a Michael Caine film, um, that kind of was in its own way just a cult hit. Um, which is good. Yes, yeah. which it which is good. Same basic premise. It's basically about a man whose brother dies, and he essentially has to investigate it. Right, and in, in this case, uh, Stallone plays a guy named Jack Carter. He's a Vegas mob enforcer who returns to his hometown to like investigate his brother's murder. He currently in Vegas uh, works for, as you mentioned earlier, Chad, a a an un a basically unseen Tom Sizemore. Right? Do we ever? We never see no. him. No, right? and I can't tell if it was him physically or not either. And I like even like did Stallone just call like in that. a favor because they needed a or voice, it was maybe? just like they were rightly did not want him on set. Yeah, maybe. No, that's that's entirely possible. But basically, Jack Carter goes back to his hometown to investigate. Um, he essentially, you know, through just revisiting his hometown, has to reconnect with uh, Miranda Richardson, uh, who is his brother, his sister-in-law, basically, his brother's widow, and Rachel Lee Cook, uh, who is his niece. Yeah. 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 And and one um, thing, the hometown, I think one thing that was cool is it's Seattle, which I, it's cool to see a movie oh, shot right. in Seattle. Do I they thought, ever call it out directly, though? Well, we see, the, see needle the needle and, oh, okay. and it's raining yeah. all the time. And, and yeah. that's I do. I will say if you're going to update something from like London, like that's kind of a cool. I just yeah, thought it was different. You know, I just thought it was yeah. a little different. I think it's kind of smart. Um, no, I don't know. There's I mean, that's basically the plot of the movie as it unfolds. You can you can also sort of start to see the germ the, the germination of the Expendables here because uh, Mickey Rourke is in this movie mm-hmm. um, as this essentially he's like a he's like <laughs> what would in the two thousand early two thousands be like a considered a high tech smut peddler yes. that's like basically what his job is um, so it's a lot of like you know live cam girl type stuff and he's very much doing his kind of cameo tour of like the early 2000s where he kind of couldn't get hired otherwise besides by like his friend because he does uh his very excellent scene in the pledge uh the next year and i think there's a few oh my god he did like three years after this which i think was kind of at the tail end of that moment he pops up in uh once upon a time in mexico he has Mm -hmm. a cameo um, oh, and that was, I guess, sucks. that that was kind of basically before I think Rodriguez kind of tried to resurrect him with uh, Sin City, right? Um, but I mean, um, he's, Rourke's also in uh, Man on Fire as the sneaky yeah, boy, yeah, right. with a yeah, and a pretty good cameo actually. Speaking of, this movie should have been directed by Tony Scott, Thank you. and then no, it would have been good. I know I wrote that down as a note, like it's because I don't even, I'll, and this is what I kind of meant. What I or this is kind of what I meant when I said in our thread that I like 
I kind of appreciated this movie is that I actually do think Stallone in this movie is not too far off the mark. No. I think it's a really nice amalgamation of like what you expect of him out of blockbuster Stallone and like what we got in Copland. Mm. There's like a, there's like a tenderness that seeps through. There's a, there's a scene in this movie uh, later on. And it's really where it kind of got to me um, that he has with Rachel Lee cook where he kind of like opens up for kind of the only time in the movie where he like realizes he might have to like be like a pseudo dad to this girl. Things happen in this story. You know, we, we make mistakes. We, fall down we get into trouble it happens to everybody it does but it doesn't mean you know everything that happened yesterday has to happen every day it doesn't <laughs> you don't want to do it like me and spend your whole life looking backwards you know what it is with this we, we can't change your history we can't do that you can go past it. Just right past it. You know, you know up ahead, it's all new. You know, it, it's, it's, it's new, it's, it's yours if you want it. You realize that she has sort of been working in Mickey Rourke's, like, sex ring and that's kind of how that's like what got all wrapped up and how her father got killed because he found out about it but they you know they couldn't expose the ring alan cumming uh who i think gives not really a great performance but kind of a fun one um yeah and, it's sort of like uh, a 2000 version of like a Mark Zuckerberg type thing. For sure. Lest we, forget, lest we forget, this is only a year after one of the greatest scenes in the history of cinema, which is Alan coming, coming on to Tom Cruise in the hotel lobby. Literally one of my, I mean, the, Eyes Wide Shut, my favorite movie of all time. One of my favorite yeah. movies in my favorite movie of all time. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, keep going. But yeah, no, I mean, basically, and I'm, I feel like I'm going all over the place with it, but it is really sort of a deceptively simple movie. He kind of like, you know, Stallone basically slowly uncovers all this through sort of through the help of Rona Mitra, who uh, who plays another one of um, Mickey Rourke's girls. But basically, it's this thing that kind of, you know, leads to the top, as it were. And it leads him uh, should I, I can spoil it. I'm going to go. Yeah, ahead and spoil, spoil it. it. Go ahead. It leads him back to spoiler alert. Someone we see earlier in the movie who he tries to get help from, played by Michael Kine. Michael Kine. And I, th- a part of me is like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I, part of me likes the idea in like a wink and nod way that you're going to make the star of the old one the villain of the new one kind of thing. I can kind of appreciate that. There's something that's annoying about the, the, um, simplicity of it because it's like Michael Caine basically had the evidence that Stallone needed the whole time and then Stallone just went around in a circle and then comes back to it you know it's not like we're given any real new information to act upon other than the reveal that Michael Caine is kind of at the top of the food chain well, to a certain degree or is responsible for yeah, and what specifically happened to Stallone's brother yeah and this is my problem honestly with the movie as a whole is I think you can write a movie like this with a structure like this. Plenty, a great film noir is structured exactly like this. That's not the problem I have. It's the fact that not enough happens in the interim scenes to keep you engaged, which I think to your point, Chad uh, and Connor, 
when you talk about Tony Scott and how if he could have directed this or should have directed this, that's almost the art of Tony Scott, right? Like he was able to take plots that maybe were somewhat mundane, something like Spy Game, which we talked about on the Brad Pitt yeah. B-side, which I think is a, a great example. is a pretty great movie, uh, only came out a year after this. That's a pretty normal espionage tale, right? But the way that Scott delivers the aesthetic and the way that they cut it together, right? You don't care about it. You know what I mean? It becomes a new thing. And if you can understand, you can feel, um, you can feel our director whose name is pulling it up right now, Stephen K. You can feel him trying to do that with like, you know, the different framing he has and some, it's not. Yeah. And he's also kind of ripping off the limey, which came out totally, the year before. Totally. And Michael Mann in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say he. But you're learning all the wrong lessons. I yeah. Think. I, but I will say, and again, it doesn't necessarily gel together. It doesn't feel like a lazy movie. Like, it feels like care went into it. I think. Right. I just don't yeah. think that dude's that talented. No, no, no. And that, no, that might very well be the case. But I guess that's the thing. Like, I, especially when you see where, as we mentioned, like where this movie is buried in Stallone's filmography, I was expecting it to be like dog shit. And so, no. Yeah. Rewatching it, I was like, it's like, and again, it's almost, it's, it, it's a lot like some of his, you know, any of his output that like he just doesn't, He's not on the same page that the movie's on, almost, and in right. a good way here. Well, like, me... I feel like he's more tuned in to a better version of the movie that isn't actually getting made, which mm-hmm. is sort of a bummer for him. But I, I wonder think. what his responsibility in that is. Yeah, well, maybe. Chad, let me let me ask you a question because we we try to do this right. So you're in you're in the world. You've written things. You've directed things. Things have gotten made that are your creation, and you've also, especially recently been producing and like helping guide other directors visions when you see when you watch a movie like this from your you know unique viewpoint as someone who's doing it like wh- like what are you what are you seeing you know what i mean and, and kind of like i guess admiring even if you're not loving the final product and then what are you kind of not admire you know what i mean what are the things where you're saying like oh i don't know why they made this decision or whatnot I mean, I I don't know how much any of my experience has to do with it, but like for me in this, like what's not working about this is the visual style and its attempt, uh, its attempt to do something that like other people have done better. And also Tony Scott is more than just a visual stylist, like his, you know, philosophy and aesthetic and, you know, his, his, you know, him as a storyteller are all tied together with these things. And I just don't see a lot of cohesion in this movie. Like it really just feels like a hack job ripoff, like from the director, in my opinion. And uh, Stallone is doing his best. Like Stallone look, looks great. We should say that. I mean, the suit is amazing. The facial hair. I mean, I don't know what, what is going on with his hair, but it's, works still even if it is plugs or a wig or i don't know what um and like it's got a pretty great cast too i mean like you know i feel like miranda richardson is the most overcast person uh of all time like in terms of her how talented she is versus the roles that she gets uh but you know she's great alan cummings great I don't really understand who or what Rachel Lee Cook was, but she works in the movie for me. I, I think it's because she 
Like, why is she in this? Is that what you're asking? I just, who, she was, like, famous for a minute, right? Like, well, she, I, I mean, she's I think all this, that? Is that She's all thing? that, I, yeah, she's all okay, that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I, And I think this I've in particular almost then, feels like then, her, guys, her pulling, like, a like a professional. Like, she probably, right. like, saw that career move and was like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna mm-hmm. take this, like, small supporting role. And, guys, in, we in, like, can't forget with Rachel the Cook, we cannot forget, she was This Is Your Brain on Drugs. Yes. Remember that? Darren Aronofsky. This Is Your Brain. This right? is your didn't, brain it, on didn't Darren Aronofsky direct those? He would have. I don't know if he directed <laughs> uh, those. I think you're ones. right. I think he, he might did, have directed. Yeah. yeah, he might have directed another another but, campaign. Anyway, but yeah. I agree. Like it, this movie was nominated for some Razzies and stuff, which it's I think is bad. ridiculous. Yeah. And like I think they were just out for Stallone at exactly. this point, probably exactly. like after Detox. Um, I think that like I think Stallone's pretty good in this movie. I think he does not look good when he's acting next to Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, he, he... Michael Caine, whose name is the most Michael caine name, it's Cliff Brumby. Yes. <laughs> and I watched the original for the first time for this too, which is very good. Uh, and like, and you're, as you said, kind of simple and, and just works. This movie I wrote down, I like took notes on this movie for whatever reason, but one of the things I wrote down is this movie is very simple, but I can't follow it. Like I'm still (laughs) not really seeing a lot of the threads. That's like how he's getting from one place to the other. No, like you're only getting information, not because he's finding it out in a logical way, but because the movie is giving it to you and like positioning the scenes, the way that they're also like, you know, there's dumb stuff. Like he's having an affair with Gretchen Moll, and like, they're just using Harris home, her home phone while like the Tom Sizemore is Is in the other room in the other room. Yeah. Can I tell you if Tony Scott direct this movie? Tom Sizemore is on screen. hundred percent. Yeah, he can deal with him. Yeah. I really think I, I we really did Gretchen Mull dirty. I think as a society, she's very good, and I feel yeah. like was I don't know what happened with her, but I know I don't know if she was like people always quote unquote difficult or whatever. But like yeah. she's very good. People always blame the Vanity Fair co- uh, cover where like there was the cover that was basically like. Here she is, guys, the next it girl. And then it was almost like, you know. Oh, then everyone was like, no. A self-destroying, you know, philosophy I see. You know, type thing. Um, also, the action in this is really bad. And, like, that sucks. Like, there's a right. the car chase in this is really bad and boring. And, like, none of that stuff works. And, and that is a pretty big detriment for this movie. Even in the original, which is, like, you know, simple and much more of a kind of like, you know, British, like not even really fully like an action movie, but like it has some really exhilarating stuff in it just in how simple it is. Uh, like when he runs into the mansion uh, to like interrupt the card game and stuff. Um, But the action in this is not good. Uh, I did notice and my wife noticed as she kind of watched over my shoulder, uh, you know, while coming in and out of the dinner uh, or coming in and out of the uh, living room. Uh, I was impressed. The, the movie's like pretty woke. Like when we find out what has been going on with Rachel Lee Cook and that she's basically kind of inadvertently like been prostituting himself. Stallone like doesn't judge her and like is like sympathetic to her and everything. Well, that's why that, that scene, I that one scene on the roof where he kind of has this really tender moment with her. I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, there's like a good movie in here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, which which again is kind of uh, annoying. And then also, uh, spoil spoiler alert, but like Stallone doesn't die at the end, and uh, 
and Gar- Car in the original he does, yeah. which I thought was pretty lame. Yeah, I don't even know why you do. That. I mean, it's just such a studio note. It feels like. Yeah, know? it is. Um, Although somebody should have given the costume designer a studio note for Rachel Lee Cook at the end, who's wearing like what I could only describe as a Jamaiquai hat, <laughs> uh, and for no no reason that that is ever explained. It was the time, Chad. It was the time. I guess so. Oh, God. That's, yeah. I just I love enter, any opportunity for anybody to say the word Jamiroquai. <laughs> yes. Uh there's there's also some really good lines in this movie. Uh 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 what's her name? Um sorry. Uh, Miranda Richardson s- s- tells Sly, "You're a picture on the piano." I don't know what that means. Uh <laughs> uh I I wondered if uh did did Stallone and Mickey Rourke uh, kind of compare plastic surgery notes? Uh, <laughs> they ask each other like, "How do you, how are you making a living?" And uh, and then one of them they say so, somebody says "still pretty," and then Stallone says like "cat piss in in the snow." Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, and. Uh, and then somebody said Stallone looks like Frank Sinatra or something, which I can only imagine is a line that he wrote. I yeah, just I, I love mean, the idea that like ahead, has, has that person ever seen what Frank Sinatra looks yeah, like? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, I agree. I think that what Stallone they meant is he looks, he looks really like Frank Stallone. Movie. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> he looks really good in this movie, but he does not look like Frank Sinatra. Now let me say, I did watch "I See You" uh, in preparation for this podcast, just because it was on Amazon Prime. Um, Chad and I are going to take a break for the next two hours while you just talk about. I see you. you give a live commentary. No, I mean it's it's very forgettable. It's ultra violent. It's essentially like a version of Ten Little Indians, um, in which uh, Sly's a cop chasing a serial killer and he thinks he caught him, and then he becomes this alcoholic because his wife dies in the process at the hands of the serial killer in this like terribly disgusting way the the serial killer like loves eyes it's the whole thing in the movie Ugh. and then he goes to a a detox center like out in the middle of nowhere uh, with all of these other ex-law enforcement people and they all start getting killed right so that's the movie right it's all these and like tom berenger's in it i think we got robert patrick comes back we get him a little re- copland reunion um i want to say Tom Skerritt is the guy who's leading the uh, the group, uh, the rehab group. So it's just very forgettable um, type of movie. I think it's by the guy who directed I Know What You Did Last Summer. So it has those kind of gross-out horror elements to it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like you said, Chad, you know, I think when that came out, sp- kind of spelled the end of his kind of uh, so solitary leading man phase because then you kind of have he – plays the bad guy in spy kids 3d he plays the bad guy in this little movie called shade where it's like a Stuart townsend poker movie which it's like Stuart townsend tandy newton gabriel byrne you know people like that um weird weird oh, that sounds bad weird little movie yeah kind of pulp fictiony ripoff thing and then he and then you know he directs himself in rocky bell bowl which is a modest success right, then he goes back to sequels and then and creates another franchise basically and that's kind of it i mean it's it's literally like a mega franchise yeah almost. yeah it's, it's balboa like, uh, it's he does the fourth rambo and then two more years go by by he does the expendables immediately follows it up with expendables 2 and then 
before he finally teams up with Arnold Schwarzenegger in, I think, actually kind of the kind of fun escape plan, actually, the first one. Yeah, Rob likes that movie, too. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's a pretty fun movie. Um, He works with – this is what kills me about this fucking movie. He works with Walter Hill yeah. in a New Orleans set cop drama with Jason Momoa as a really compelling, pretty interesting heavy – in a movie called Bullet to the Head, based on a graphic novel, and it's basically uninteresting. And I even rewatching it for this podcast, I was like convinced I would find stuff other than that final axe fight, which is great. Yeah, the axe fight. And is dope. it's really there's nothing. There's like nothing at this movie, and yeah. it just makes me sad. I'm it's a not huge, e- yeah. I'm I a mean, huge Walter Hill uh, fan. It's not even it, bad. It's just kind of like. Like, where's Walter Hill in this movie? So he wasn't the original director. Okay. Um, he. I saw this in theaters with Rob Malone, by the way. I think Dan and I. I think we. I think, Dan, think me and Connor. Dan reviewed this for the film stage. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. Me and and, Connor I, and I, I believe I went with you to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wayne Kramer was the original director. Oh. Oh, Wayne and, running scared Kramer. All right. Yep. Yep. And um. So you one can only imagine what this movie would have been like. Like I feel like Walter Hill even elevating it to the level of just nothing mediocrity is way better than where it would have been. Probably. Well, yeah. we talked. Um, we talked about, and it's funny because we just talked about another kind of lost Walter Hill movie when we did Angela Bassett because he directed Supernova from two thousand, which he then yeah. took his name off of because it got taken away from him. I was listening to that on the way here. I saw that movie in theaters too. No, and, you did uh, not, Chad. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> He's one of the three. Uh, and when you played the trailer again, I couldn't believe because the movie is not like that at no, all. No, no. And uh I don't really remember it very well. But yeah, I mean I remember that was when I heard about that, that was probably like one of the first times I had heard about like the idea of a director being fired or whatever. And like that Francis Ford Coppola took it over, I suppose, or whatever. And, and was still salvaged to just make that. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's a sad situation. I mean, I'll say this for Walter Hill in between supernova and bull to the head. He makes the underrated boxing movie Undisputed with Wesley Snipes and Ving Rhames. Yeah. I've heard that's good. That's a fun little movie. And he does that Pretty solid AMC Western Broken Trail with uh, Thomas Hayden And directs the Deadwood pilot. And he directs, yeah, right. And he directs the Deadwood pilot. So, like, he's still doing work. But to your point, I guess to all of our points, with Bullet to the Head, which is essentially, I mean, essentially, it's not even real. It's a cop and a killer, right? Because the premise is um, uh, Sly Stallone is a hitman and his partner gets killed early on in the movie after they do a hit but sly lets uh like the prostitute in the bathroom live and then um there's you you come to find out there's this bigger new orleans real estate fuse conspiracy happening involving christian slater and all these other people and um this cop from like the you know from dc who is Han Solo from Fast and Furious. From Fast and Furious, yeah. He, from Kang. Oh, right. He comes into town to and basically runs in to this hitman, Sly Stallone, and they're forced to team up to take down the greater evil, right? That's what the movie is. And, like, Sly Stallone has a daughter who's this, like, badass tattoo artist, and that's, like, a whole part of the movie. Obviously, she exists only to be a damsel at the end, which is a whole other thing. But 
Um, I guess the- And it's sort of like, uh, I mean, it, I didn't know the Wayne Kramer thing, but I knew, I mean, it was definitely a troubled production and like came out like two years after they shot it and like, you know, cost way too much money uh, and didn't really do much a- a- after. And yeah, just kind of, unfortunately feels like kind of anonymous, especially for somebody as great as Walter Hill. Like, yeah. I haven't seen The Assignment, uh, which definitely seems, like, semi-disastrous. Uh, but I bet you that it's very obviously his movie. I'll tell you this. Yeah, I've seen The Assignment. The Assignment has far more life in it than Bolt right. to the Head. You I, know. I th- so he had he has a quote, basically, where, um, where, you know, I mean, so leading up to Wayne Kramer clashed with Sylvester Stallone over the tone of the film, right? And then... Um, and then Stallone basically brought on Walter Hill. Wayne Kramer had actually brought on uh, Thomas Jane to play the Sung Kang role. Mm. And then uh, I don't know if Thomas Jane dropped out after he left, but basically in the transition, Walter Hill was basically like, I don't want a white guy. And so they recast that role. I'm sure that added some expense <laughs> to the to the movie. Um, but basically... He he was quote uh, Walter Hill was quoted as saying, "We're not breaking new ground. We're trying to be entertaining, entertaining within a format that's familiar. There's a kind of ice skating that goes on where you must let the audience know that you're not taking yourself too seriously, but at the same time, the jokes are funny, but the bullets are real. The jeopardy has to be real. When it gets outlandish, there needs to be no drift into parody or self-parody. Maybe inevitable for old directors," is what he said, hmm. which Interesting feels. Quote. Feels on brand for Walter Hill in terms of, and we mentioned this in the Angela Bassett episode, he is a pretty honest interview. He's very candid about a lot of things. So that feels like, that feels like exactly probably how he felt about this movie. The only part of that that I would disagree with him on is that like the jokes aren't funny. Like mm-hmm. that, like the, the things he's well, suggesting he cultural. would hope work in this movie don't work, you right. know? And like Stallone's too unlikable, partially because it's all basically like, racist stereotypes that he makes jokes off of and like all sorts of stuff. And like, that's the nature of their, like of their buddy cop movie essentially. And they just don't have good enough chemistry to elevate that part of the movie. Um, the action in the movie is also kind of whatever, like again, I, outside of the ax fight at the end, which I think is kind of inspired and fun. Um, the only thing to me that really elevates this movie in any capacity, uh, is is Jace, is the existence of Jason Momoa as the heavy, like as the the Gary Busey lethal weapon role, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he plays he plays like the second hand heavy who then becomes he like muscles his way into becoming the ultimate bad guy. Which, I, right. you know, he look look say what you will about Momoa and his abilities as a performer and actor. I think his he has charm for days. You know, like when you look at Aquaman and stuff like that, like he's able to elicit you know maybe not in a, like he's able to in an elicit an enjoyment from the characters he plays that is a very movie star type of a thing right so mm-hmm. i think that comes through in this movie playing the heavy because he's just like he's like delicious right you like watch him in the movie and you're kind of like oh like who what's up with this guy you know what i mean like he's got a twinkle in his eye and he's obviously liked playing against sylvester stallone 
So I think, yeah, to Connor's point, I, I kind of agree. Like, he's really the silver lining. One thing I want to point out that's crazy interesting. This movie comes out February 2013, only two weeks after Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Last Stand, which is the Jiwon Kim movie, comes out. And which they, I also saw in theaters, and which they, is kind of good, actually. I mean, it's okay. It's better than Bullet to the Head. I mean, it's yeah. they both s- perform so badly, and it's like these two right. old acting Right, it was just like, this vets. is over. Yeah, it it's was over, just like, guys. no thanks. I mean, if it's not Expendables or like, you know what I mean? They just, right. the solo action movie for them was just not going to happen again, which I think is so interesting. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I, there's not too much to say about Bullet to the Head. I mean, I think, you know, there's a couple of moments, mostly at the end there. Sly's kind of in cruise control to some degree. Um, yeah, you know. It, and it's also, I mean, Walter Hill, you know, yeah. I mean, it's kind of been a slow, he feels like kind of over post-Supernova, you know, and it's like an obviously an age thing, and it's like, you know, um, the and really just a change of ho- you know changing of Hollywood. I mean, I think it's you know you, you interesting bring up, but like if if we're you know, oh, I thought Undisputed was a TV movie. I guess not. But um, if that's like his last good movie, like you know, that's two thousand two. Yeah, it's just a shame because even his nineties are interesting, right? Like he another forty eight hours is forgettable, but like Trespass is a cool movie. It's basically Treasure Sierra Madre in the Hood, right? That's basically the premise. That sounds good. It's really good. Bill Paxton and Ice-T. Geronimo and American Legend is kind of a cool revisionist Western. It's a little slow, but like, you know, they gave him- Oh, yeah, I've heard about that one. And he had to really fight to get that made and like, you know, making, especially as a guy that like loves and reveres the Western and has made a bunch of them or in fact says all of his movies are Westerns. Like to make one starring a native, uh, to make the first one like starring and about a Native American, or at least I assume yeah. so, is cool. Yeah, he had at to least really at a studio level. Yeah, he had to really fight for the West studio yeah. of it all in that movie, and and then like Wild Bill and Last Man Standing are like interesting failures, right? It's like you know Jeff Bridges plays Bill Hickok with Ellen Barkin playing Calamity Jane, and it's like introspective more than his other movies, and then Last Man Standing is literally Yojimbo, right? Um, right, with Bruce Willis, and it's just a little. It's a little stodgy, but there are it's like beautiful set, pretty cool performance by Willis and like very heartless in kind of an interesting way. So he's still like experimenting in the 90s, I guess is my point. And then like, yeah, Supernova, he gets a proper budget to essentially make his alien. Right. Like, you know, because he is involved with alien from the beginning and then like they fuck him on it or he fucks himself. Who knows? You know what happens there? And then. And then you know, to your point, that's kind of it. It's, it's kind of a shame, you know? Right. And, like, the other good things are TV. Like, Deadwood and Broken Trail are right. are for TV. And then, like, Bullet to the Head is really just, like, kind of an assignment movie. And then, you know, the assignment, which maybe is interesting, but, like, is certainly, like, a weird, like, you know, foreign sales movie that, like, costs, like, $5 million and he would have gotten 25 for it. Yeah. 10, you know, 15 years before then. No, it's totally true. So, I mean, it's a weird, it's definitely like a weird one to end on when you, when you go through Sly's career, because after that, like we said, it's Creed is the thing that rejuvenates him. But he keeps coming back. Cause it's like, we he got nominated for an Oscar. I know we would have yeah. said like, I thought he was over too. And then, and then Creed came out, but you know, that was because he put his, 
faith or at least enough of his faith into like a very talented young filmmaker and like let himself like be vulnerable on screen you know um i think he'll him not winning the oscar will be remembered forever but i think similarly to mickey rourke he kind of you know you can't be an asshole for 40 years and have it all, all these <laughs> all the people that you that thought you were an asshole be vote for you well and, and that's look that's what people always say with stuff like this right like with the eddie murphy and dream girls and stuff it's like it's yeah. literally like look crew members vote in the academy <laughs> so it's like yeah you know it's like you can't you know if you were shitty to every grip you worked with forever and every production designer you worked with and every costume designer and like you know they vote right like you know yeah. like so like and every actor that like wasn't a star when they worked with you and now is like yeah right so i think yeah it's 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 a point well taken um with him especially um i do want to mention one quick easter egg about bullet to the head only because it ties directly back in but one of the mug shots that is shown in the movie is his mug shot from lockup nice. oh i love that um and like so look we finished these talking about what he what we want to see him do next and it's kind of like he's 73 last bloods in theaters right now he's starring in these escape plan vod sequels right like creed 2 was kind of a, a little bit of a bust it, it it performed well at the box office but it was kind of forgettable he's been trying to make this gregory scarpa movie for like decades gregory scarpa was uh, in a, he was a hitman for the Colombo crime family who died in 1994. So it's like kind of almost his The Irishman, I guess you want to say. Right. Um, he's been trying to make that for a long, long time. That he would that he would write and direct. I think so. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, yeah, I I'd, I'd see him do something like that. I I I would see him do something that was understated, like Creed again. You know, I mean, I uh. I don't think he should do any more of these sequels uh, for for the old movies. I think it's time to kind of hang that up. Totally. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to see him be Clint Eastwood. I'd love to see him like direct well, like, dude, movies what? that he's not in, yeah. or I don't know. You know, well, like, like dude, I how think about he's this? kind of an interesting filmmaker. He's like sort of a vulgar auteur, but like he, I don't know. I think he has like good ideas. Like even if they're kind of bluntly and and sort of overly earnestly portrayed like i i actually think he's kind of an interesting filmmaker and i'd love would to you, see him write and direct more movies and maybe that he isn't in would you wager that maybe w the situation that you're talking about would be better if he either directed something that he didn't write or wrote something that he didn't direct yeah maybe direct something that he didn't write but i don't know how like what those movies are even I, maybe not though because i mean he is a writer like i mean clint eastwood isn't obviously and like but like he got a start as a writer so i would be curious as to if there's anything like that i just think that maybe he shouldn't star in them anymore what about sly stallone in a clint eastwood movie oh, that'd be great yeah i mean like what is what is sly stallone's the mule right you know what i mean well like, that's what i'm talking yeah, about yeah, like yeah. i i want to know yeah yeah, I so was going to say so I was going to say and you're going to disagree with this Chad but I would love I I would love for him to reteam with James Mangold so that Mangold could possibly like eke another great performance mm, out of him I could in see the that. vein of yeah. like a Logan right like right. a similar kind of movie just like a, a you know and it would feel obviously 
I, I think obviously still in the vein of things that he just did with Creed and Creed two of like that down and out old man who's on his last legs or whatever. But I think obviously somebody like Mangold has proven he can tell that kind of a story and can and can clearly get a great performance out of Stallone. For so. sure. And like, yeah, like a Mangold, like uh, Gran Torino or something right. like with him. Like I could completely see that. Like Kate Leopold, too, starring Sly Stallone, you know? Um, so, all right, we've come to the end of our Sly podcast, and I think we, we've covered him as well as anybody could. Now, Chad, before we leave, remind the people, tell the people where they can find you on social media and all the projects you have out right now so that they can find them and watch them and see them in theaters and rent them on VOD and all sure. that stuff. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This was really fun. A pleasure. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, on Twitter at Chad with two D's uh, spelled out. Uh, you can watch the movie that I wrote and directed called Long Nights, Short Mornings, uh, starring Shiloh Fernandez. is available to rent anywhere you can rent stuff, like on iTunes. And then uh, uh, Depraved, uh, which is a modern day Frankenstein movie, uh, is out in theaters and on VOD now. And uh, Villains, uh, starring Bill Skarsgård, uh, is in theaters now and is a lot of fun. Um, so I hope you can check any of those out. No, and I, yeah, and I'll personally, like I said before, I'll personally uh, vouch for Long Nights, Short Mornings. That's a really cool, interesting movie that I just, I don't know, it's like there's an alfiness to it, but it's edged in a different way, and there's a different kind of, of uh, I don't know, different, you know, different examination happening that I really appreciate, so definitely seek that out. And then I can't wait to see Depraved and Villains. I'm bummed I missed Depraved. Uh, only a couple weeks ago. So I'm looking forward to catching up with that. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, everything else that you're doing. So it's cool to have you on. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Connor working. The... Yeah. Thanks yeah, guys. Of course. This was very fun. Yeah. No, this worked. Yeah, we'll, we'll have you back. Cool. We'll figure out another one. Yeah. We got to figure out another, yeah. Sly sized uh, <laughs> actor to have you back for. Maybe the Van Damme episode. Or right. Something. Ooh, sure. yeah. Sudden death. Talk about sudden death. Um, <laughs> so Connor, what about you? Tell the good people. Uh, you can find my byline on the film stage. Um, maybe by the time you listen to this, I'll have a review of Gemini Man. Um, so that'll be coming up. We also have a, because of Gemini Man, we will have a Will Smith episode uh, coming up, which uh, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, but you can, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. And you can actually also follow the B-Side now. Yes. On Twitter at TFS B-Side. Um, so do that if you have not. Um, we've been kind of refraining a little bit from promoting it just yet. We're starting to get our legs with it. But uh, but if you're listening and you like what you hear, feel free to follow, uh, rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, we're still jazz. yeah we're still on the film stage show feed, and so obviously rate and review there and comment. I'm at DJ Mecca on Twitter. And like Connor said, we're operating the TFSB side Twitter handle. So look for more stuff. Will Smith episode coming. Plenty more on the way. Check out Chad's movies. Check out Sly's movies. And in the meantime, we say to you, it is better to be Stallone than being with someone who makes you feel Stallone. Well done. Never gonna give you up for someone